0: from earth it's space radio i'm paul sutter astrophysicist at stony brook university and the Flatiron institute and for the next half hour your agent to the stars we've got an amazing show today we have such a fun guest such a cool guy he is waiting in the virtual wings the virtual green room where yes there is a variety of virtual cheeses for all of our guests to eat at their leisure as they wait to come live on the show but first i need to tell you that this show lives on listener questions we record every thursday at 8 p.m. eastern however we're not doing it for long it's this is the second to last episode the pen ultimate episode of space radio here at spaceman studios in new york city so leave a voicemail to get yourself on the air you can also follow along with our space cadets on the live streams on YouTube and Twitch, tuning in. I've got my nope, notes here, because I wrote it down. Ashburn, Virginia. How about that? We've got Minneapolis, Minnesota. We've got Idaho Falls, Idaho, Kosovo, Bristol, Indiana, Pell City, Alabama, Ireland, Ottawa, Canada, L.A., California, Tucson, Arizona, Compton, California, Vipava, Slovenia, CBUS, Ohio, Washington, D.C., and Plainfield, Illinois, and, of course, Austin, Texas, tuning in at the last second, right before Columbia. All tuning in live and more from around the world. What an amazing group of crazy space cadets that we have going on. They all came. They all came for one thing, the cheese at the end. No. Does the flat iron in suits stay pancakes or well-pressed shirts? Funny. It's such a horrible name because we're the, the office is in the Flatiron District of Manhattan. It's a block away from the, the the iconic Flatiron building. So it's called the Flatiron Institute because it's there. I don't know. I, I was not in charge of naming things. San Juan, Puerto Rico. Thanks for tuning in. I'm not in charge of naming things. I would have named it literally anything other than Flatiron Institute because it makes no sense. It's, in, in yeah, whatever. Anyway, my guest today... Here we are, the great, the powerful, the wizardly, Christian Reddy. Christian is an astronomer at Towson University, where he also serves as planetarium director. He has spent much of his life in awe of the universe, haven't we all? His first astronomy job at the age of 13 was at Sproul Observatory at Swarthmore College. He's a Swathy, where he first measured the positions of stars on hundreds of photographic plates, were you looking for a planet? Were you looking for a ninth nice planet? Old school astronomy, there.
1: It was very much old school astronomy, even back in the 1980s. It was old school even for that day. All That's we, how we like all, it. all we were doing, yeah, what we were doing was just measuring the distances to stars. We were doing a subfield of astronomy called astrometry. So we're trying to measure very precise, accurate positions of stars, and we're looking for things like their their motion across the sky called proper motion and even to detect their parallax, which betrays their distance. So we were finding the distances to stars and even discovering a few along the way, not a bad, not a bad way uh, for a 13 year old to, uh, to earn a living and not a um, bad
0: gig. You know, I was no, a, not, I was a bad. cashier admirer. Well, I, I was, I was uh, working at KFC, uh,
1: for a while there and, and, uh, I, uh, I decided to pursue a career in astrophysics. Uh, I decided that the, uh, fast food industry was not where I wanted to, uh, to be.
0: <laughs> you yep, yep, you know, often people get that choice, fast food or, yeah. uh, high-end academia. turns out fast food pays better. It gets better benefits, but yeah. yeah, but you learn a little bit less about the universe. Now, you also later moved on to taking observations with a 24 inch refractor and developing a love of public outreach, which shows right. you earned your Bachelor of Science in Astronomy and Astrophysics from Villanova. And you're currently an instructor at the Launchpad Astronomy Workshop, where he t- helps teach writers, editors, filmmakers, and other creative professionals about astronomy. According to your bio, you view this as an opportunity to combine your love of, of astronomy, teaching, and science fiction into one. Now, here's the official welcome to the show. How's it going, Christian?
1: It's going great, Paul. Thank you so much. I, I can't tell you how honored I am to be your penultimate guest. Um, penultimate. I'm so sorry this is going away, but I'm, I'm just so glad I get I get to be a part of it. and. you. Uh, uh, just looking forward to seeing you take your final bow next week.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. You were supposed to come on in May, I think, and then I had to cancel because something came up and we couldn't do the episode that night. Right. Uh, so I'm glad we were able to reschedule you in before we go. Yeah. Uh, did, let's, let's start talking about the news. Let's talk about Inspiration 4. Yeah. Do you think this mission, I've, I've seen some divided opinions, either it's super cool and interesting and there's a legitimate science happening and also St. Jude's got tons of money, or is it just another billionaire bozo going for a joyride in space? Where, where are you on that great debate of our times? Nothing about COVID vaccinations. It's all about billionaires in space.
1: You know, both can be true at the same time. Um, you know, you can have billionaires enjoying themselves in space, but you can also be raising awareness for St. Jude's uh, Children's Hospital. And I really don't have a problem with with that. Uh, you know, if billionaires are going to enjoy themselves in space, uh, that's fine as long as you're not doing harm. And I think I like. it seems to me like they're doing some actual good here while they're at it. So they are, you know, they did raise a great deal of awareness. St. Jude's is such a wonderful organization for what they do. Nobody pays a dime. No family has to pay a dime to get their kids the medical care that they need. I think that's just an incredible mission. So yeah, anything that can be done to raise awareness for that, I am fine with it as long as it does no harm elsewhere. So sure, have a nice trip. And and it sounds like that mission just went out, went perfectly smoothly. And uh, how amazing is it, by the way, that, you know, we're... the the era the era of space tourism is here right i mean you know yeah you're right
0: it's here
1: we yeah yeah i I mean i mean okay okay you and i you know probably aren't gonna go up anytime soon but you know what it's got to start somewhere you know air you know air air airfares were extremely high they were air travels for the rich and now we all fly discount airlines like i don't know if we're gonna get the discount space travel within our lifetimes but still we are you know, we're, we're inching into the future further and further. I think it's just pretty cool.
0: Yeah. I, I was uh, covering it on the weather channel live yesterday and I, I said something crass, which I tend to do is right now it's the province of billionaires. And before you know it, even regular millionaires will be able to go into space and it really, (laughs) truly will be for everybody for the common person.
1: The common millionaire, you know, just, millionaire. Strug- just struggling with their one hundred plus employee company that they own. You know, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think that's uh, you know we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: just trying to get by. Now, now, talk to me, talk to me about the Launchpad Astronomy Workshop. When did you start this, and why? Why did you want to get started with this? What motivated you?
1: Well, it, actually, I, I so the Launchpad Workshop, as you. Uh, mentioned in your intro that is a workshop that's designed to help creative professionals who you know want to in feature astronomy and space science or even space travel in their stories or whatever creative work they're working on you know whether we want to admit it or not we learn from our entertainment you Now, how many of us saw the millennium Falcon zigzagging through asteroid belts only to discover that Asteroids aren't like that. You know, they're not nearly that close together. So getting the science right is kind of important as a public service in that and thankfully we're now in an age where more and more uh, creators want their science to be right they want things to be as realistic and plausible as possible but maybe they don't really have enough of the science background they're not you know not everybody's an andy weir or an isaac asimov or anybody like that so you know they want to they want to learn they got to learn from someplace and what better way to learn than with your fellow writers and other creative professionals at a week-long cram course for writers now i did not start this workshop this workshop was actually created by my very good friend, uh, Dr. Michael Brotherton, who is uh, an astrophysicist and professor of astronomy at the University of Wyoming. Not only that, but he's also a science fiction author himself. So he started this workshop way back in 2007, and then we met uh, and I came on board in 2012, and I've been going out every year ever since to spend a week with Mike teaching people about you know teaching people astronomy basically doing astronomy 101 in like a crash course week you know and uh and i love it. It, it it's 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 crazy work it's hard work it's unpaid work but it feel it feels like it's the sort of work that we need to be doing so and and we're just delighted to do it
0: yeah absolutely i i i i work with uh, i consult on various tv shows and movies uh, and even video games and it's always seems to be they come with questions and then you tell them a lot of facts and then they say, okay, we're going to, we're going to pretend you didn't say that because we need the plot to do something else. It's so right. much better when, when writers and creators already have the science in mind before they start to develop the story, then they don't need to massage the story around science that doesn't work. And so that's what you're trying to do is get people exactly. uh, off the ground, working with science and incorporating a, a real-world um, information and knowledge into the creative process, which is very challenging, but also very, very fun.
1: And it's extremely rewarding when it when it works. You know, like when you when you put it together and you you deliver a great story that grabs people's imagination. I'll go. Ref- I referenced Andy Weir with The Martian, mm-hmm. and uh, then Art- uh, then Artemis, and now uh, Project Hail Mary. Here he's working the real science into it right he's making it Mm -hmm. you know as realistic and plausible as possible and people are eating it up they love it and i think to many writers and when i say writers i mean doesn't matter if it's a filmmaker or a video game designer or a youtuber right anybody who tries to teach through their content uh directly or indirectly they want to get it right and that's great you know we're just glad to offer a small way of making that happen so that's uh, that's my that's my big hobby. Um, but when I'm not doing that, I'm working on my YouTube channel uh, mm-hmm. of the same name, and I also am teaching at Towson University. So I get a few I get staying a few things in. going on. Yeah, I'm staying way too busy. I got to learn how to balance my work. My I got I got to figure out how to balance my work work relationship, so I can do both both jobs. Two very
0: important relationships. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what? Uh, what made you want to start the YouTube channel in the first place? And, w- and what are your favorite kinds of videos to do?
1: Well, I began the YouTube channel, uh, I don't want to say by accident, that's almost cliche, but it was very uh, indirectly, I began the channel before I really realized I was doing a channel. Uh, so I do teach uh, introductory astronomy, which is kind of my favorite topic to teach because i I always enjoy, uh, you know, to me, it's like public outreach, except I'm assigning some grades, right? While I'm at it. Uh, But in any event, I, uh, I was I, well, these these intro astronomy classes and if you've ever taught an intro astronomy class uh, you know people who take introductory astronomy think it's going to be a very simple class and they think it's going to be some star names and constellations and then they realize oh no there's physics involved or you know if it's like planetary science like the sky and solar system there's you know spherical coordinates involved there's chemistry involved there's mm-hmm. geophysics involved next thing you know they're just getting everything right so it's a tough class for people. People do find it to be a little bit difficult. And I don't mean to make it that way. So a student, actually a couple of students asked me, do you happen to have a recording, a video recording of your lectures anywhere? And I said, no, I don't have that. And he says, well, do you think you could like record your your presentations? And cause I just, I, I gotta watch this again. I, I just can't get, to, I can't absorb it all in, in the class. And I said, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And then I realized, oh, I've got my youtube channel which is just my name christian ready you know Mm -hmm. i had videos of my cat and all that kind of stuff and and so i put i started recording those presentations uploading them to youtube i told my students about it and they immediately didn't watch a single one of them they were too busy and they were like "Eh." but then other people who weren't my students were watching them and i didn't really know how they found it i didn't know what it was the next thing i knew i had 130 subscribers i'm like you can subscribe to a channel what's going on what what is that yeah what is this thing of which i you know here so um around that time i was thinking about um doing something maybe trying to you know do like a like another like outreach project you know and i didn't know if i was going to teach like an online course but you know everybody has online course and then i realized oh. You know, people are responding to this. Maybe they like it. Maybe I should make a YouTube channel. And so I stole the name from Mike Brotherton. Uh, you know, actually, he told me, "Yeah, hey, you should call it Launchpad." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." You know, because no one knows who Christian Ready is. So yeah, okay, Launchpad. Uh, I'm no Paul Sutter. You know what I mean? So I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I had to. I had to come up with a with a cover name. You know, Launchpad Astronomy, and uh, and it's been going ever since. And I've been doing that now steadily for about three and a half years.
0: Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. Your channel is fantastic. Your content is always rock solid on the ball. Very relevant. What is your favorite kind of top content to, to cover in the, in the channel?
1: Wow. Uh, you know, there's, there's a wide range. (laughs) I, I feel like I'm going to answer this question only to prove myself wrong in five minutes, right? Because I'm always, I find myself becoming very interested in what it is that I'm, I'm making a video about. I mean, that's sort of like why I do this, you know? And uh, but I would say that overall, um, you know, I've always had a soft spot. It sounds really corny and cliche, but I've always had a soft spot for stars, like individual stars and the properties mm-hmm. of stars, uh, you know, in a, in a field that's dominated by really exotic things like dark matter and, you know, cause, you know, the Hubble tension and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's stars for me. <laughs> you know, So yeah, whenever yeah. I get to talk about neutron stars and I get to talk about stellar evolution, you know, I, I, I just, I love making th- that kind of content, you know, and I know it's not everybody's thing, but, um, you know there's a there's an awful lot to be said for just digging into what we all take for granted and discovering that there's a there's an incredible incredibly rich tapestry of a really weird and, and mind-blowing physics involved and and you just get into this stuff and next thing you know you're taking what you think is just ordinary a twinkling star in the sky and it turns into this living breathing animal that just does crazy things and i love it
0: so you're basically paparazzi <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. I, fo- I follow you stars just, you yeah. just talk about you make youtube videos about the stars
1: i make a youtube videos of the stars yeah exactly oh,
0: stars. <laughs> uh, speaking of the stars uh not that was a horrible segue james webb yeah december 18th is the annon- the announced launch date that is just two months away we've been waiting for james yeah. webb for a good fraction of our human lifetimes an insignificant, a a not insignificant fraction of our lifetimes. Do you think it's actually going to launch? Is it happening on December 18th? On
1: December 18th, I can't predict the weather this far out. Right. Although French Guyana, you know, does have generally good launch conditions most year round. Right. And, and, and apparently December, you know, that time frame. it never gets hit by typhoons or hurricanes and things like that. So I would say if the weather's good, yeah, I, I really think it could oh, launch so it's on. it's
0: all down to weather, you think?
1: I, I think so. I, I do. And I We're say there. this only because they've been operating this launch vehicle now for, what, 25, 30 yeah. years, something like that, right? It's been around forever. They know it inside out. They've been they, yes. They had to make some modifications to accommodate Web. They've ironed out those issues as well. They know mm-hmm. how to flow, uh, you know, payloads through and so forth. And oh, by the way, what's the other thing? Oh yeah, I didn't remember. Web is finished. It's done. It's ready to go. Yeah. And that's like the big thing, right? When they announced that yeah, testing the rocket was wasn't done, really
0: The delay, yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. When they when they announced that Web had completed. All of its integration and testing, and it was stowed up, ready to be packed and shipped. That's when that's when I knew, okay, they're making this announcement for a reason because this thing's ready, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I think we're going to see a a pretty cool uh, launch in December.
0: Here's the follow-up question: Is it going to work? It's probably, I would say, (laughs) the most complicated object we've sent into deep space. Yeah further than I lunar orbit right. it's yeah. probably, I would say it's more complicated than a lander or an orbiter mission I would say it's more complicated than any of the rovers we have on Mars it is a complicated device to unfold oh, all wow. those mirrors and unfold the heat shield I'm nervous I'm nervous am I the only one who's nervous
1: uh y- yes you are or whatever yeah. <laughs> yes of, co- of course I'm nervous I yeah I mean I don't think there's anybody who's in their right mind a little bit concerned about like all of the complicating factors. And and I think for me, it all comes back down to, well, then why did we make something so complicated in the first place, right? Why didn't we just build a simpler spacecraft? We could have had it up there by now. And I think that's a fair assertion to make, right? We would have had something up if it was simpler to build. It can't be any simpler than what it is because of all the science requirements that have gone into this thing, right? It's gotta operate at extremely cold temperatures. It's gotta work in the in uh, in the in the near to mid infrared. It's, why do we want it to do that? Well, we want it to look deeper into back into time than Hubble ever could. And that's why it's heralded as a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope, even though it really isn't in terms of its wavelength band and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're trying to answer questions that simply can't be answered any other way and that's why this thing became so complex we've never done anything like this before I can also like I like to say philosophically you know this is what we do right this is what this is humanity at its best when it's trying to you know really answer those questions and and go to whatever lengths are necessary however I'm also enough of a pragmatist to know that it still should have been done before it should have been done years ago. There were some management problems. I'm not going to pretend that there is an, uh, there aren't other human uh, foibles involved here that maybe delayed things out further than they had to be. Nevertheless, it's done and dusted. Now we just got to get it out there and it has to work. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it just has to, that is the only option and That and that was part of the delays as we knew this was, one chance we couldn't go to fix it. We can't build another one. We it just has to work. And so, if it's if it's going to launch, we only get one shot, and it's going to make it really tough to to give the green light to to let it go. I do have a question. What's what's the one question that you, Christian Reddy, would like to have the James Webb answer once it's fully decked out, first light, taking data? What do you want it to teach us about the universe?
1: I think for me, I think the most interesting question that it can help us answer are what are the likely, what is the likely uh, uh, census of habitable worlds? Uh, and, And by the way, this is to me something that not only is like, hey, isn't that cool to know about what worlds are habitable? When they were designing web, this wasn't even a question that anybody thought we could answer with it. You know, like, like when this thing was being designed, like no one, everyone thought, oh, we're not going to be able to know about really characterize habitability on pla- on exoplanets until like the next, next generation of space telescopes mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. LUVOIR or, you know, uh, HABEX or things like that. Mm-hmm. But now, and I'm going to call in this recent work on Haitian worlds, which I'm working on a video about right now because I found it really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Now it's looking like these so-called ocean worlds surrounded by these high, these thick hydrogen atmospheres can basically, they're a lot more detectable. Like if, if there's life in it, those biomarkers should be much more detectable. And a team of folks from Cambridge University actually modeled uh, Webb's capabilities and discovered that, yeah, Webb will be able to see these biosignatures. And that's something that nobody thought we'd be doing with Webb. You know, I I would have been, if you would ask me, I I, I would have assumed that, no, we we won't be able to characterize habitability. So if we're able to do that with web, uh, even just get the ball rolling, you know, and, you know, that's going to inform what's coming next, right? The lube and the habexes of the world. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm pretty excited about. Oh, yeah. What else? Um, You know, how big is the universe and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some very minor questions about are uh, you know, the origins of our entire cosmos, you know, whatever. There's that. Yeah. <laughs> Minor stuff. Uh, what about you, Christian? What, what's coming down the pipe in the next six months to 12 months? What are you excited about in terms of space missions, events, and, and your own work?
1: Well, um, <clears throat> in terms of, in terms of space missions, I mean, it's, it's so hard to even think past, web right you know but i am really interested and and i know i said i was all nutty about stars and stuff like that but like i've i've kind of found myself becoming more and more interested in just the goings-on right here in our solar system and so the lucy mission i find to be very interesting like the fact that we're going to be Yeah, sure. Lucy is designed. I mean, we've had missions to asteroids before, but now we're going to explore a population that we've never, ever seen before. And this is a population of asteroids called the Trojans, which are kind of held in place by Jupiter's gravity. They're kind of like in a gravitational pocket called Lagrange points that kind of find that these asteroids find themselves trapped in this gravitational pocket between Jupiter and the sun. And there are these two Lagrange points on either side of Jupiter. And Lucy is going to go out there and explore some of the asteroids in this. And and what I really think is is exciting about this is that, you know, we've, we've looked at, so far we've looked at like near asteroids, like relatively near earth asteroids, and we've flown past a couple of asteroid belt asteroids. But now we're going to start noodling around in this third zone of asteroids, let's just say, right, you know, outside the main belt, you know, and that I think is gonna help us to answer some, some real questions, not just on the formation of our solar system, but particularly how did our solar system decide to put its terrestrial rocky planets inside and its big gaseous and icy giants on the outside. Yes, we know it has to do with temperature, we know it has to do with how you know your distance from the sun, but exactly how did that work, right? What was the conditions, you know, what was that gradient like? And I think that to me, the more I'm learning about Lucy, the more interesting I I uh, interested I become in it. Um, but the other the other big thing, and this is not six months down the road, but I'm looking forward to the Vera Rubin uh, telescope mm-hmm. to finally start scanning the sky, assuming, of course, we don't lose the night sky to all of the uh, mega constellations. But uh, that's something else that I'm also extremely excited. So that that's that's the next Lucy's in the next couple of months. Rubin is the next couple of years. Uh, as far as, you know, when I'm working on the channel, yeah, it's it's working on videos. I'm actually working on a video about Haitian planets. I'm looking forward to doing my live streams again. I, had a, I took a little summer hiatus, and I'm looking forward to getting back to that. And we're also starting, like, a whole new chapter at Towson University where I'm the planetarium director. Uh, and we have a brand-new science building at Towson. We have a brand-new planetarium, and I'm giving my first public planetarium show tomorrow night Very so i'm, cool. I'm looking Congratulations. forward yeah. thanks yes yeah. so i'm looking forward to just you know doing more of that kind of work and and uh and then trying to do my day job in the, in the middle of it all <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well nothing beats a live astronomy presentation whether it's in a planetarium or an auditorium it doesn't matter where or just sitting under a sky full of stars And I'm sure the audience is going to have a fantastic time. How can people find out more about you? How can they follow you? Where do you live on the internet?
1: Well, I mostly live on YouTube at Launchpad Astronomy. That's the name of my YouTube channel. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Launchpad Astro or my personal Twitter account at Christian Ready. Uh, Those are probably the best ways to uh, to ping me. Uh, I'm not particularly active on Twitter, but... I, I lurk, I watch, uh, but you can always check out my channel.
0: <laughs> that sounds good. Last question. Last question. Yes. This is the last time. I'm Get ask this question on this show. What is your favorite kind of cheese?
1: Well, my favorite kind of cheese. I am. Uh, I am. As you can tell, I am Italian. Okay, I'm half Italian. Totally. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've always been a big fan of mozzarella. You know, and and Paul. Ooh. I, I, in honor of your fine, uh, penultimate show, I brought my own <gasps> mozzarella cheese. This is, this is a vegan mozzarella, uh, wait. by Miyoko's creamery. Wait. And, uh,
0: did I wait pause? Did I just hear the V word? Vegan. So this is this made from milk?
1: Yes, cashew milk. No, no animals harmed. It's it's. Oh, look at this. Let's see here. We've got controversy some nice, on
0: the penultimate episode.
1: We've got nice Miyoko's Creamery vegan mozzarella.
0: Okay. Uh, now co- I'm to do okay. my. I see, because it's not mozzarella, because you can't say that.
1: Well, mozzarella—that's the wrong way to pronounce it. Italians we call it mozzarella, right? And oh, I'm gonna take this out, and I am going to. Oh, smell that! Look at that you know, beautiful You can have cheese. your moment here. I'll
0: give you your moment here. This, is my, Paul, this is my Paul. This is my. This is my Paul Sutter homage. You know what? I I will mm. celebrate it, even though it is. Mm. <laughs> this is incredible.
1: I've never. Tasted such smooth, silky mozzarella cheese. That was for you, Paul.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Christian. Thank you. And you know what? I, I eschew all vegan cheeses, but I celebrate you and your choice to go uh, cruelty-free with your cheese, unless you're a cashew in which case you have just been crushed and pulverized to death and in, in turned into a creamy brick. And I hope you enjoyed it. It looks like you enjoyed it. Go have the it. rest of that while yeah. I have my cheese right now. Do you want to hang out while I eat my cheese? Yeah, I'll sure. I'll, I'll,
1: I'll do cheese with you.
0: Yeah. All right, right. All right. You get to enjoy this. So this is a uh, actual cheese. This is cheese right. too, man. I, I, have trouble, I have trouble with the, the, the vegan cheeses. I have trouble with it. Listen, folks, if you want to eat a vegan cheese, more power to you. But my body more ch- my choice. <laughs> uh, we've got Ski Queen brand. I already tore the label, so you can't see it. It's Yetoast. It's Norwegian cheese, Yetoast. Now, it translates directly as goat cheese. It's apparently a mixture. this particular brand is a mixture of cow and goat. And look at that. Look at mm. that color, this rich, caramelly brown color. It smells like cheese, but it looks like fudge, and but apparently in the description, it's as sweet as caramel with the texture of a dense party fudge. I can tell you, this looks like if if I just saw this on the shelf, I would assume this is a piece of caramel fudge. But leave it to the Norwegians it to make a like cheese. Yeah, and it looked like even when I try to break it off because I didn't bother bringing a knife with me, it just like pulls off. Here we go. Yay, Toast. Oh, this is brought to us by, by the way, Dom's Cheese, D-O-M-S-Cheese.com. Great friends here who have supplied cheese for a year for Space Radio. They are absolutely wonderful people, and they do deliver, and they do ship their cheese. Here we go. Yay, Toast. hmm hmm hmm
1: how how is the it, ball
0: it's not bad mm-hmm. it's not the best it's got ooh it's got like a little fishy after note here, oh. like a little, a little scaly, a little bit of scene, like rotten seaweed vibe. It is very interesting. It's definitely caramely. It's definitely buttery. It's definitely rich. It's, it can't decide if it's sweet or savory. Oh. It's like when you have cream cheese with just a little bit of sugar and like, are you a cheesecake? Are you going all the way there? or am i putting you on a bagel with some salmon. I don't like pick one. Pick mm-hmm. one. It's it and it's trying to live between the cheesecake and the the bagel with lox worlds. It's trying to straddle that line and it, I think it's failing at both.
1: What kind of what kind of wine would would you pair it with? Maybe you could pair that with like a white, you know, and uh
0: I don't know would that as work? much would as that possible. Help? I think yeah. the answer <laughs> okay. is as much as possible. <laughs> In the in the Norwegian tradition, first you spend all night drinking, and then when you open up the fridge and you're starving and you're like, "What happened to this cheese? Why is it brown?" I don't care. I'll eat it. Mm-hmm. That's the plan. Ah, a fishy afternoon.
1: I gotta. You know, I I can send you some of mine, Paul. This, I mean, this you is. You know just what? I'll absolutely... take I'll take
0: the cashew milk. I'll take the cashew milk, vegan cheese over the, honestly, mm. this may have been my least favorite cheese I've had on the show. I'm sorry, Christian. I mean, I I mean some... it's
1: just, it's oh. just pulling right off. You know, it's got mm. that nice little crumbly texture that you want in the mozzarella, you know, and
0: I just... never thought I would be jealous of, um, mm. of a cashew based cheese, but here I'm I so am. Smooth. You are too far away. I think I have some, I, some admit, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I
1: mean, I'm not trying to ham it up for you. I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry no, you didn't no, enjoy no. Chase it. this, this, show, this, is, know, this, this is, show. This is this is, is this is the first time I've ever had uh, uh, Miyoko's. This is the first time I've ever had Miyoko's mozzarella and holy holy mackerel! I mean,
0: it's good. I'm glad you're happy. I'm not jealous at all. This is the first time I've had ye toast. Mm-hmm. This is likely the last time I've had ye toast. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, if I'm in someone's home. And yeah. it'd be disrespectful to not eat it. I'll for eat sure. it. I'll hide my grimaces. Um, I mm. gotta go wash that down with something, folks. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah get, get, like, maybe get like maybe get like because you know like Norway a, a
0: super famous for their cheese making.
1: Yeah, that's Norway. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's when you maybe think you just Norway. Got, maybe just
1: think... got a bad batch. You know, try it. You know, maybe try it again next week with like another block of it or something. <laughs>
0: There are there are people remembering the time I had the penicillin gorgonzola. I had a gorgonzola that was probably legitimately bad, as in had too much bacteria. Okay, okay. So I take it back. Yetos is not the worst cheese I've ever had on this show. And man, you go. Man, Thank you, Nicole. The penicillin gorgonzola. <laughs> that was bad. So this is the second worst. <laughs> on the show,
1: and i and i am on Folks, your second to last episode so yay yes
0: this is it this Learn is it for number two. so if you Learn like cheese that doesn't know if it wants to be sweet or savory if you want an indecisive cheese yay toast is for you Yay toast. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Space Cadets. Unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Uh, I'm Paul Sutter. This show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash PM Sutter. Thank you, Nancy Graziano, for producing the show, Ringling Space Cadets, and bringing Christian on the show next week last episode, 8 p.m. YouTube channel, Ask a Spaceman, all that's going to live on for a very, very long time. But next week is the last episode of Space Radio. I hope I have a better cheese. Thank you again, Space Cadets for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing and of transmission.